Welcome to SNC's podcast series, SNC Critical Insights. I'm Brendan Cullen, a partner in Sullivan and Cromwell's litigation group in our Palo Alto office. And with me is Tony Lewis, also a partner in our litigation group in our Los Angeles office. Today, we're going to provide an update and some key takeaways for building and sustaining an effective compliance program. This update builds on our last two podcasts on this topic. We're going to discuss new insights from certain U.S. enforcement agencies and discuss the implications of those on corporate compliance. And then we'll conclude with a few best practices. Looking back on last year, there have been some developments. Recent remarks from U.S. DOJ officials have discussed its enforcement priorities and its newest compliance expectations. These developments come at a time when U.S. enforcement agencies appear to be increasingly focused on corporate compliance. And in terms of enforcement, the SEC brought 697 enforcement actions in 2021 and more than 700 enforcement actions the year before, amounting to over $5 billion in disgorgement and approximately $2.5 billion in civil penalties. As you've mentioned before, compliance programs are important, especially in the enforcement context, for two major reasons. They allow for early detection, which creates an opportunity for the company to avail itself of the benefits that come from early self-reporting to authorities. And in the event there is an investigation by an enforcement agency, maintaining an effective compliance program can translate into concrete benefits when trying to resolve that investigation. As to how it matters when resolving an investigation, it's taken into consideration first when prosecutors determine the form of resolution meaning whether a company is charged with a crime or reaches some other agreement with the government, such as a non-prosecution agreement. And second, when determining the amount of a monetary penalty. And third, when an agency is determining whether or not to impose a compliance monitor, which is especially important given the current administration's now revised guidance on corporate monitorships. Let's first turn to recent memoranda and remarks by officials at the U.S. DOJ for insight into how U.S. agencies evaluate a corporate compliance program. In March of this year, 2022, Assistant Attorney General Kenneth Polite Jr., a former chief compliance officer for a Fortune 500 company himself, said that the agency expects effective compliance programs to be, quote, much more than a company's policies, procedures, and internal controls, end quote and that the DOJ expects companies to implement compliance programs that, one, are well-designed, two, are adequately resourced and empowered to function effectively, and three, work in practice. In determining whether companies are meeting these three overarching expectations, the DOJ has focused on some key areas. Specifically, companies will need to establish tone at the top, issuing and reinforcing clear policies and procedures designed to ensure compliance and both senior and middle management should be sending out a message that misconduct will not be tolerated. But more than simply having sufficient processes and structures, companies should consider how their compliance function has sufficient autonomy, stature, and resources to identify, mitigate, and report issues. In recent remarks by both the Assistant Attorney General and Deputy Attorney General Lisa Monaco, They indicated that in certain resolutions, DOJ will ask both the chief executive officer and the chief compliance officer to certify at the end of the term of a resolution that first, the company's compliance program is reasonably designed and implemented to detect and prevent violations of the law based on the nature of the legal violation that gave rise to that resolution. And second, that all compliance reports submitted during the term of a resolution are true, accurate, and complete. 
DOJ frames this requirement as an effort to empower compliance professionals to have the necessary data, access, and voice at a company. And this certification obligation has already been included in at least one resolution. Next, building on its 2020 guidance, the DOJ is continuing to look at how companies use data analytics in testing the effectiveness of their compliance function and the compliance culture at their company. DOJ has also expressed interest in how companies put that data to use in responding to the risks that they identify and in addressing the root causes of gaps in their program or additional violations. Companies should consider how they can best employ data analytics to enhance their compliance function. Data analytics can be a very useful tool and can be powerful evidence of a robust compliance program in at least two ways. First, data analytics can help companies identify compliance risks and address them. DOJ has indicated that it is interested in seeing examples of compliance success stories, including disciplining of poor behavior, rewarding positive behavior, and instances of transactions that were rejected based on a compliance risk. Second, data analytics can be helpful in measuring and testing a company's culture for compliance. Companies can track, for example, when and how often employees complete compliance training, when they refer back to compliance protocols, and they can evaluate those metrics based on different indices like geography, line of business, or other categories. Using data analytics and maintaining those records will be important in demonstrating a robust compliance program that's tailored to a company's specific needs and unique risks. On September 15th of this year, Deputy AG Monaco said that in the context of determining whether a company is a recidivist, DOJ will consider the nature and circumstances of past misconduct, including whether it shares the same route as the prior misconduct. Right. And given the DOJ September 9th announcement that it was hiring a former head of compliance, this is likely to be a particular area of interest for the department. He will likely be leveraging his own experience creating in-house tools that identify troubling transaction patterns through data analytics and risk scoring. DOJ also looks at what compliance training companies provide to their employees. There should be both incentive and disciplinary measures in place to encourage compliant behavior, and employees and others need to know about the company's confidential reporting channels or whistleblower lines. As detailed in the DOJ's September 15th memorandum designed to incentivize companies to invest in their compliance programs, this includes using compensation systems to provide those incentives or disciplinary measures. For example, companies could impose penalties for misconduct, including penalties that allow for clawing back or retroactive discipline, because misconduct is often discovered after it occurs. Those measures, in turn, would incentivize compliance, deter risky behavior, and instill a corporate culture in which employees avoid legal gray areas. Similarly, companies could offer rewards for those who promote compliance within an organization. Prosecutors are also directed to review whether these policies are followed in practice. This is in line with the department's recent focus on increasing personal accountability. Next, it continues to be important for companies to vet third parties, meaning agents, consultants, distributors, or other vendors. As we mentioned before, this is an area of perennial focus for the DOJ. And if your compliance program could only do one thing well, it should be this. Finally, and as always, companies should exercise caution in M&A, mergers and acquisitions, where they can unwittingly inherit compliance risks from acquired companies. 
Companies should look for ways for audits to map onto the results of periodic risk assessments and those audits in turn to inform future risk assessments. And companies should consider how their compliance program can be continually reviewed and improved to address evolving risks, as reflected in DOJ's June 2020 update. There are also a few additional interesting points worth noting about the recent memoranda and remarks by DOJ and its officials. First, the Deputy Attorney General announced that DOJ was modifying its previous guidance and that the department should favor the imposition of a monitor where there is a demonstrated need for and clear benefit to be derived from imposing one. For example, where corporations' compliance program and controls are untested, ineffective, or not fully implemented at the time of resolution, particularly if the compliance program is deficient or inadequate in numerous or significant respects. U.S. agencies have been making good on this guidance, too. Independent compliance monitors were imposed in two recent resolutions this year for a two- and three-year period. And the DOJ has provided some further clarity on this new approach in its September 15 memorandum, where it lists 10 factors for prosecutors to consider in evaluating whether a monitor should be imposed and other considerations related to the selection of monitors. Second, the DOJ's September 15th memo notes that the criminal division is planning to further study best corporate practices regarding the use of personal devices and incorporate those practices into DOJ's next edition of its evaluation of corporate compliance programs, the guidance that it issues. As a general rule, however, the memorandum says that all corporations with robust compliance programs should have effective policies governing the use of personal devices and third-party messaging platforms for corporate communications, should provide clear training to employees about such policies, and should enforce such policies when violations are identified. The DOJ's criminal division's guidance is a touchstone for all multinational companies whose operations have any connection to the United States. But depending on the nature of a company's operations, there may be other guidance to consider. That leads us to best practices. Tony, would you summarize some of those? Of course. So first, as we discussed before, companies should document their compliance program itself, as well as any changes to their compliance program and the reasons for them. Prosecutors consider whether a program is effective both at the time of the misconduct and at the time a resolution is reached. It is also important that companies be able to demonstrably show the evolution of the compliance program over time and the reasons for those changes. Second, companies should look for ways to use data analytics in tracking their compliance training and program, tracking the program's effectiveness, and documenting any successes. Companies should also continue to adapt and grow its compliance function so that it remains effective. Third, companies should consider the structure, independence, and autonomy of their compliance functions, especially when operating internationally. As discussed in earlier podcasts, the U.S. is aligning more with other countries and requiring that the compliance function have a certain level of autonomy, independence, and resources. But on balance, it is also important for companies to get local input and buy-in while maintaining sufficient independence. It is often beneficial to give local stakeholders, including local managers and employees, a voice in the crafting of a compliance program for their region. These individuals have knowledge about local operations and culture. 
as we discussed last time, top-down imposition of rules can cause branch offices to chafe when they aren't given ownership over their operations. Involving local stakeholders can increase buy-in to the programs. Local council can also be a good resource for perspective to supplement local managers' views. So, in summary, an effective compliance program can save a company from serious consequences later on, not least of which could be a compliance monitor to help devise and implement a program that enforcement authorities may think should have been established in the first place. Thank you for listening to SNC Critical Insights. For more information about this topic, please see our chapter in the Guide to Corporate Compliance titled Developing a Robust Compliance Program in Latin America. You can read our article, access other helpful resources and insights, and find out more about our practice on our website, www.silkrom.com. Thank you.